Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. The Institute for Justice is doing good work again. They filed a lawsuit on behalf of somebody who's been wronged by a, uh, a strange ordinance. So we'll figure this out. From IJ.org, Seattle's Affordable Housing Ordinance, ironically, makes housing unaffordable. Now, I inserted the word ironically myself there, but <laughs> I'm editorializing. Saranjan Sen wrote this for the IJ. You are probably not a housing economist, and neither am I. But you don't need a degree in economics to understand that making housing more expensive will make it more expensive. And that's just common sense. But sometimes there's not a lot of that in big cities, and Seattle here is the problem. In that city, in the name of housing affordability, won't let you build a home on your own property unless you either pay an exorbitant fee or build additional housing that you don't want and will not use. So they call the statute an affordable housing ordinance. And so you give it a really nice name like that, and people go, oh, how could you be against affordable housing when the statute actually does the exact opposite? That's kind of that double reverse think that, that governments can often do with their statutes and how they name them. A woman who's a lifelong resident of Seattle's Central District had always dreamed of owning her own home. After she married her high school sweetheart, the young couple saved up and eventually bought the house on the corner, which was her favorite since she was a child. She hoped that her children could stay nearby as they grew into adulthood and started families of their own. So when their college dorms closed for COVID, she and her husband decided to take out a second mortgage and build them a house next door. Wouldn't that be cool? The city would allow them to build that house for a price. Because of Seattle's mandatory housing affordability ordinance, she cannot receive a building permit unless she first deposits a lump sum of $77,000 into the city's affordable housing fund. And that's not including the other permit fees, which add up to thousands more on the price tag. So along with all the building permits and stuff that goes into constructing a house, it's just a $77,000 kicker at the front end that somehow will help with the affordable housing. Not yours, of course, apparently for somebody else. And that's the question. So on the other hand, if she wanted to, she could agree to construct two additional dwelling units and provide them as below-market affordable housing rentals for 75 years. And then she doesn't have to pay the (laughs) $77,000. Like most Americans, she cannot afford to do that and still cover the costs of building her home. As a result, the space beside her home remains empty, and her children have had to leave town to find housing they can afford elsewhere. So question is, why is Seattle doing this? Well, because the MHA, as acknowledged by the Seattle mayor, was a deal between major players, including large developers who, unlike the smaller competitors, can afford its upfront costs and pass them on to luxury clients. So the big developers don't mind this so much because it keeps the riffraff from getting involved. Okay? And so they pass those costs along to They're well-heeled customers, as they say. But people who want to just build a house, got $77,000 extra laying around, cough it up. The government cannot abuse permit applications like this, says the author of the article. 
The U.S. Supreme Court has held that land use permitting demands must be related and roughly proportional to the impacts of the proposed new use. So if your new house would require an extension of sewer lines, the government can charge you for that. However, it cannot charge you for, I don't know, renovations to City Hall, nor can it charge you for extending sewer lines to the entire block. Otherwise, the permit condition isn't really a permit condition. It's just a chance to extort you. Uh, to use the permitting process to take your money uh, or your property and uh, without compensation, which is, of course, a violation of the Fifth Amendment. So unconstitutional housing regulations like these harm ordinary people and violate property rights. They directly increase the cost of building a home and consequently make building lower and middle income developments uneconomical. So unless people opt for Plan B, which is to build the housing for someone else, rented out below market values for 75 years, which is crazy. They crowd out small builders like the couple in the story here who cannot absorb the costs on the front end. They contribute to ongoing housing shortages and indirectly increase rent because those costs have got to get paid by somebody. What makes housing affordable is that there's plenty of it, and if you want more of something, you probably shouldn't make it considerably more expensive to produce. That's why... The Institute for Justice filed a case against Seattle on behalf of this woman seeking to strike down the MHA extortionate conditions on housing development. Adamses, that's the name of the couple, like all Americans, should be allowed to build a house for their own family on their own property with their own money without government standing in the way. So with the Institute's help, they intend to do just that. So it's a crazy story if you think about this. I had never heard of this specific ordinance, but I've heard of weird fees like this, but $77,000. So if you want to build a house in Seattle, you might get a bill up front saying we won't issue any of your building permits until you cough up $77,000 to us to put in this fund, which will help other people with their housing needs. And that's a great example of somebody who had a wonderful idea on how to spend other people's money. And that's not how this works. As they point out, this statute does the exact opposite of what it's intending to do. Because if these people build the house next door, there's now one more house in town. And if you stop them from building a house, then there's one less than there would have been. And, and you have to always look at what are the direct results and then what are the side effects of any law that you pass. And if you find the law doing the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do, then you should probably rethink it. Now, I know some people are going to say, but Steve, I hear about these funds that are out there. These funds, like, for instance, there's often a fund for um, victims of crime, crime victim funds. And so if you ever sit in court for a long period of time and you see criminal sentencing, where criminals have been sentenced after they've uh, been convicted or pled guilty to something, and the judge will often say, I'm going to give you, you know, three to seven years in prison. And then they're not done there yet. Then they say, and this, and this, and this, and this. Finally, they say, and you have to pay the following amounts of money. And they'll say, fines of $10,000. And then, you know, if you go on probation, later probation oversight fees. Okay, that's going to cost some money. And they'll often say, and then so much money to the crime victim fund. And they make the criminal put some money into a fund for the victims of crime. That one makes sense to me. Okay, because you harmed somebody, that's why you've been convicted of a crime, 
And oftentimes there is a financial impact to a crime victim. A lot of crimes do involve money. And so to say that the people who caused this problem have got to pay money into the fund that will help alleviate the harm of the problem that you directly are involved in makes complete sense to me. Okay? So if you said to me, Steve, building a house is going to add all kinds of stuff to the costs of the city, like what? Well, are they going to tap into the sewer? Yeah, but there's probably going to be a charge for that going down the road. And they'll probably charge them for the cost of tapping into it also. Uh, are they going to use city water? Sure, sure. And they're probably going to have to pay for that connection. and pay. So all of those things are already being paid for. And so to say, well, yeah, but we want you to kick in $77,000 and put it in a fund so someone else can have their dream home. Okay, that's not how that works because it's not the fault of the person who's building their house that someone else hasn't got their dream home. Where's the connection? Where's the connection? And so they call it an affordable housing ordinance because who can be against how you know affordable housing? Who can be against that? But that's not what it really is. It's just an oppressive tax on people building homes so that they can redistribute the wealth. And I got a really serious problem with that. So once again, the Institute for Justice is stepping in here because this is the kind of litigation that's going to be very, very involved and probably costly and take some time. And the Institute for Justice does great work like this when they find a case that otherwise most people wouldn't do. I I have a feeling that if the IJ didn't take this case, this couple would be kind of forced to just go, oh, I guess we can't build the house then anyways. Sorry. And they're loved ones move over to a different city. So I've mentioned before that I support the IJ. Uh, I found this story on my own, but (laughs) uh, I love the organization. So I'm going to put a link to them in the description below, ij.org. And if you find it in your heart to take a few minutes, if you haven't done so already, click on the link, go look at the work they do. They're a nonprofit organization, and they survive entirely on donations from people like you and me who hear these stories and go, wow, they're doing great work. I'll kick in a couple bucks to the cause. So it's a good, good cause. IJ.org. And here, Saranjan Sen is the uh, attorney who's handling this case, I believe. And so he's the one who's going to be in court fighting for this couple when Seattle's affordable housing ordinance makes housing unaffordable. And imagine being the attorney on the other side of that. When you have to defend that in front of a less friendly court. Because at the local court level, who knows what will happen. Take it up on appeal. See what happens there. And you're going to find judges saying, okay, explain to us now why this couple building a home owes somebody else $77,000. Explain that to us. And how does that not violate the Fifth Amendment? So there you go. Great story, great cause, and a great organization, the IJ. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. A thing of beauty is a joy forever.